Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today, we are going to talk all things stringing your own tennis rackets. And we have two stringing experts today with Troy and Jay. Thanks, you guys, for joining. Yeah. (laughs) This question and topic kind of came about um, when I was asked recently about stringing machines for someone who's never strung before. And that is totally not my expertise, but you guys are both like master stringers and know a lot about stringing. So I thought you guys would be really good to talk our listeners through this process. Maybe we can just start out with like the very, very basics of. I want to string a racket. How do I even go about like shopping string machines? Are there different kinds? What's the difference? I know there's some electric, there's some manual. Explain them to me. Usually comes down to like the first thing people or the way they kind of classify them or when you're looking at them is, is the different uh, ways that you can pull tension with the machine. So um, your very basic kind of uh, entry level machine, usually the cheapest ones are going to be the the drop weight, which essentially uh, tensions the racket just like it sounds. There's a, there's a weighted end of it and it kind of uses the weighted end and combination of gravity to kind of tension the string. So they're definitely functional machines. They're cheap probably take uh, maybe a bit longer than some of the other more expensive machines and maybe a little less um, accurate as far as the tension goes, but can be pretty consistent if you do the same, you know, as long as the the, the actual stringing, the human being stringing it is, is consistent in the way you operate the machine. So uh, those are the, the drop weight machines. Next up from there, and one of the kind of more common, I guess, home stringer, uh, type of machines tends to be the the crank uh, tensioner or a lot of them are called lockout machines. So um, we actually have some of those here at Tennis Warehouse, such as the Prince Neos 1000, which is a pretty nice one for uh, the lockout type of machine. But basically there is like a sort of a, a box mechanism that has an arm on it. And basically you you wind it uh, to pull tension. And then um, there's a function within the machine, like as it's grabbing the string, uh, within there, there's like gears and things inside of it that can gauge the tension. And as you pull it far enough, the crank knows when you reach a certain level of tension and essentially it locks out. So it kind of locks it and stops, stops you from pulling it any further once you hit, you know, say 55 pounds or whatever, whatever you set it to. So that's the lockout or the crank kind of tensioner is what they call it. And then from there, getting into the higher end typically and all the way up to your, you know, professional grade machines that are used a lot in the the pro tour stringing rooms or, you know, a lot of uh, pro shops uh, is the electronic or computerized um, machines in which the tensioner on those is connected um, electronically to a motor and uh, computerized. You can punch in the numbers on there for the tension and set it to, you know, your 55 pounds. The the motor will pull the tension and uh, basically you know, stop it. And thing that's kind of unique about those and maybe a little bit um, more accurate than like a lockout is the motor in there will continue to turn over. Um, that's why sometimes they re- they're referred to as a constant pull because it'll continue to, to pull over that tension and make sure that it's uh, continuing to pull that 55 pounds, if that's what you set it to, all the way until you actually clamp the string. So it's a little bit more accurate and that's why sometimes uh, we'll talk about it more in depth, but there's a little bit of difference between the tension that a electronic machine yields versus a lockout, even if they're set to the same number. Jay, I don't know. Jay, Jay wants to talk. No, I mean, yeah, I was trying to think of what I could add in there. Um, as you go down that list, it's just gonna it's just gonna save you a whole lot of a whole lot of time um, when it comes to stringing your racket, and it's gonna come um, with a whole lot of ease, um, and it's just gonna be yeah, just a little bit more accurate when when you're stringing your racket. Um, so you 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 pretty much like if you're just if you're just starting out and you're looking at um, stringing your rackets just for yourself personally, then you can t- um, look at those first couple the the lockout um, and the drop weight machines, you probably don't have to go for electronic. Um, but yeah, if you're stringing uh, for your club um, or for, you know, for your mates, um, then yeah, probably looking at the constant pool would be probably one worth going for. 
So do you guys think it would be easier to learn on one machine versus the other? Or do you think like if you learned on an automatic, would you not be able to do a crank pull? Like what do you, how does that work? If you've strung on a, on an automatic one, um, it might be a little bit trickier going backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, because then like one will be a little bit more frustrating because it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, it's just, Like once you can string on one machine, you should ideally be able to do it on all machines. Like it's not um, hugely different. It's the the only difference is how um, the tension is pulled on the string itself. So everything else will be pretty much the exact same um, when it comes to weaving your strings and and mounting it and everything like that. Um, But it's just the, yeah, actually how the tension is pulled. And I think there's a bit of a bias because I've heard someone say it recently that an electronic string child is better than maybe a crank pull but I also feel like that's not true so can you debunk that statement yeah I mean there's always the it it, what's most important is the craftsman the person the human being yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) the person actually using the machine you know we we can do a really good clean you know nice string job on pretty much any of those Um, the drop weight can be a little bit iffy because the fact that it's just like a weighted tip and gravity and you kind of really have to be like very consistent on the way you're operating it but i can string or you know a good stringer or jay you know and and i know you were talking about like uh, saying oh you know we're like master stringers but even like for me personally like i have like stringing idols you know i follow the the priority one guys like ron you and nate ferguson mm-hmm. I actually got to meet nate ferguson at um indian wells a couple of years ago he's pretty cool to talk to and th- those are the guys that string for like Roger and like they travel the world and follow, you know, they string for Roger and Stan and Milos and all them, you know, they make the big money. They're like the rock and roll idols of stringers. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think that way, but it really is. But anyways, it's all about the craftsmen. So yeah. Um, if I'm using all three of those machines side by side, I, you know, you probably definitely want to use the highest higher end and, have all those functions and something that we can probably talk about next besides just the tensioner is the mounting system mm-hmm. that also has a lot to do with kind of protecting the frame and preserving the frame over a lot of string jobs. But uh, the way you tie knots, the way you clamp um, every stringer themselves can kind of have their own personal style. Um, and that has a lot to do with it. But, you know, given that you have a, a master craftsman or say a novice stringer or whatever, you know, uh, it will vary a little bit between those three different types of machines, but it really comes down to the person operating those those machines. I, I don't know if Jay wants to kind of give his feedback too on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, I guess the only other thing that I can think of um, is because electronic machines are a little bit more, I guess, accurate and they have that constant pull, like some people will will have their racket strung at one place and it'll be with an electronic machine and then they could go to another place and get their racket strung and it not be electronic. And sometimes like the machines, you know, like the, the tension might not be exactly, exactly the same. So if you're used to having your racket strung one way for months and months and, you know, years, and then, and then you change that, then you might notice a difference. So then people will automatically assume that that's the, the, uh, the machine itself. I found personally that like I, I have my own um, lockout machine at home and I have, and then I use one at the tennis only office, um, which is an electronic machine. And I found that like, I think that my lockout machine um, strings my racket just ever so slightly looser than my uh, electronic one. So I, I find that when I do use my lockout machine, I string it just a little bit tighter, just like, you know, like one pound higher just to adjust for that. That might be superstitious. I'm not 100 sure, but no, no, I, I I agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. So that's all I can think of. Like they're, they're they're the only subtle differences, but you know that that doesn't necessarily equate to the quality of the stringing machine itself. It's just the yeah difference between the the pull of the string. Yeah, I would back Jay up on that. And uh, an example I was going to say is like I've strung um, at tournaments before. And usually like when we get like, it's like open level, you know, money tournaments or whatever. There's a lot of these players that are like D1 or players that are trying to come up the rankings. And, 
anytime I get their racket, the first thing I say is like the last tournament I strung out, I strung on a lockout. It was like a Prince Neos. It was a nice new machine, but I just would tell them like, Hey, you know, the pro shop or like when you're on the road, do you, do you pay attention to the, the machine that they usually string on? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them have usually get their rackets maybe strung on electronic or some both or some don't even care. But like, I usually ask them that question because I, I like to factor that in. If I'm using a lockout crank machine, I usually, for me, I usually bump it up about two or three pounds uh, to that of a, a computerized constant pool. So if it they string at 52 usually and it's on an electronic, you know, professional machine on a, on a lockout, I'd probably say, hey, you might want to bump that up to 54, 55 or something like that. But it just depends. Well, and I was going to ask you guys too, and obviously this podcast is going to be more about like the lessons to learn and little things that you need to know rather than the exact way to string a racket, but we'll add that video in the podcast show notes. But I always hear about machine calibration and someone could get a racket strung at tennis warehouse and someone can get a racket strung at tennis only. And it might be slightly different because they're ca- the machines are calibrated different. How do you calibrate a stringing machine or is that something I'm assuming that's something that you can do? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You can recalibrate. And Jay, do you have any experience like recalibrating, like say uh, the electronic, like a Bayardo or the ones that you guys use? Not too much. No, not too much myself. Yeah, yeah. We, I just changed the settings on my height. Um, <laughs> that's it for me. Um, it's pretty, I just use the standard version. Do you change yours? No, I haven't. I know the um, the one electronic computerized machine that we typically use here, um, Jonathan Wolf, our, our, our racket guru, string guru, um, he's the one that usually tweaks around with it and knows how to program it and stuff. Um, and it's it's a electronic machine that's based off the one that Head produces. But um, yeah, I haven't really calibrated too much with the electronic, all you know, other than like you know what you're saying, like punching the tension and the height settings and all that, which are pretty cool. But uh, I have done it to a lockout machine, and the way we calibrate tension on those is is pretty. It's pretty easy to do. Um, we actually use uh, what the gamma tension calibrator. So it's like a little like sort of pulley and it has strings on both sides. And basically um, when you pull tension on it, you clamp one side down and make sure that it's locked on this side of the, the pulley and the other side will go to your tensioner and you pull it, set it to say 55 pounds. And you want to make sure that when you're uh, recalibrating the machine after use, it'll, you know, maybe go up or down. Um, you pull tension on it at 55 and you want to make sure that the actual calibrator reads 55 pounds of pull tension when you're, you know, setting the machine to 55. So sometimes it'll be off a few pounds after say like a month usage or a couple weeks usage of a lot of rackets. And from there you can go in, there's like a little um, wrench you can use on the tensioner for like the Prince Neos and you can slowly work it up or down to get it to match that number. So it's pretty easy on the, on the crank machine, but the computerized, I haven't done that so much. Gotcha. And how often you just said about a month, if you're stringing a bunch about every month, would you want to look at the calibration? Um, usually here for the ones that we're using, we probably do it weekly just because of a high volume of rackets. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're pumping out rackets on some of these machines, but like the machine I have at home and I know Jay said he has a, a, a crank or a lockout machine at home too. I usually do it like, you know, once a month because sometimes I'll, I'll there'll be a busy month where I'll use it quite a lot. And sometimes it'll just be sitting there collecting dust. But uh, that's when, you know, just kind of check the tension with the calibrator and also kind of lube it up if it needs anything like that or clean off the rails with rubbing alcohol and stuff like that. But Jay, I don't know if that's kind of the same thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily calibrate as much. So I, I, I barely use it anymore. Um, now gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it has been collecting some dust, uh, but yeah, yeah. As you said, you know, like you gotta, you gotta keep up the maintenance with it. You gotta clean it. You gotta make sure everything's still working properly. So yeah, apart from that, I'm just doing the same things that, that you mentioned. Yeah. Okay. So then from there, you were talking about different ways to mount a racket and how that can be different from machine machine. You want to go into that? Yeah, I don't know um, exactly how many different mounting systems there are total, but the the two main ones and the ones that we sell, like uh, the Prince Neos 1000 that we use, is sort of a basic two-point mount. So mm-hmm. you mount the racket at the very top of the head and also at the bottom of the throat. So like 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock are your two uh, you know, main mounts. And then from there, 
there's a locking mechanism on the bottom. We call it the lock bar. And, uh, you know, back when I was like training new, uh, customer service reps to string and stuff, like that's like the one thing you get in trouble for is like your lock bar, you know, I'll, like come out of the, come up the stairs from the break room and I can see like a missing lock bar from like 50 yards away. It's like some new, like young stringer. I'm like, stop what you're doing. And they freak out. And they're like, what's going on? I'm like, you're about to snap that $300 racket. If you keep stringing, you know, or something like that, but that's just like a learning, a learning phase. Uh, but yeah, it's just like the two point mounting system, the, the, the head, the throat, and then the, the lock bar, like that's the main things on a, a two-point mount for at least for like the neos um and then from there uh typically there's uh the six-point mount and basically as it as it says the the six different points on the racket um there's more support around the hoop so like i know jay you said you you string us uh, frequently on a bayardo i don't know if you want to kind of talk yeah, about the the bayardo has six points um on it so yeah same same the same two that you mentioned so the one at 12 o'clock and one o'clock where the clamp um or the mounts come up um in the racket and then like sort of pull outwards um and lock the machine that way and then you have um, the mounts on the outside um, of the of the machine, which yeah, as you said, clamp the hoop, um, and that's all around um, like the corners of the racket, um, and it just really locks that racket in there at you know two four um, around eight and ten um, of the racket, and yeah, just really really locks it in. When you're stringing rackets that are a little bit high tension, um, I find that having you know the the uh, the higher mount points. In the machine really good because you can actually see the racket itself um, warp um, as you're stringing especially like at those high tensions so having that there is it's a really good feeling for me because i know that the racket's not gonna not gonna break on me i haven't used two um two point as as often as you have i don't think troy is your is your um is your lockout or your crank machine that you have at home is that a six point mount that is a four point mount. Oh, four point. Yeah. So my, there is a four my, point. Mine has four, four yeah. points. So, so yeah. So four point, I mean, it's, it's very similar to six. It just takes the, the original two that you mentioned. So the two in the middle of the racket, it doesn't have those two and it just locks in the four corners. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So just kind of like yeah, a little visual for you guys. And I, I couldn't find a regular racket. I have a box full of wood rackets in this room, but, uh, <laughs> The two point mount basically there's a mount up top here at 12 and six and it stops the racket from being squished like in this direction from like top and bottom in. So it keeps it, you know, that that's where the, the main stress is. But when you have it mounted and like Jay was saying on a really high tension, you can still get like when you get to these outer mains and some of the crosses, you can still get a little bit of frame frame warping and a little just slight bending of the hoop. Cause the only real supports are at, you know, 12 and six with the six point mount, you still have those two um, clamps, the top and the bottom of the hoop, but then you have four points on the outside, what I call like the shoulders, so like 10 and two, and then it would be like five and seven. And that's on the, those, those points kind of push the frame from the outside in. So not only are you stopping it from, you know, collapsing vertically, you're putting pressure on the outside of the hoop so that it can't bulge at the shoulder, so to speak. So it really puts a lot more support on the frame and keeps it from slight warping especially at those high tensions um which will help preserve your frame in the long run so if you're one of those tournament players that's stringing your racket you know once a week or maybe even more probably a good idea to get a the more uh higher number of, of mounting points to support that frame yeah i was going to say my stringing career was short-lived but i definitely warped a racket in my time and that was from stringing or on the court michelle <laughs> I, I wish I could say it was from on the court because it's more embarrassing that I did it stringing. Was that on? Was that hitting your foot? Or no, no, it was actually on a stringing machine. I was okay. like one of those Wilson end codes, and by the time I finished, it was like shaped like I don't know, more like a head extreme. I don't know how to explain. Yeah, it was something beyond Yonex's. You invented the gravity yeah. before it came. Yeah, out. <laughs> it definitely had like. The, it was pretty funny, and I'm going to ask you guys like your biggest blunders because um i hope you have some like mistakes that you've made in the past because i know i have okay so mounting's important 
and lock bar is important. That's like the one thing that I know, like always put on the lock bar Yeah, that, that I know. And that's a mistake you really only will make typically is on a two point mount. So you were, you know, they, they put you in a tougher position by having that two point mount on a six point mount or like those higher end machines. Yeah. There's a couple more steps in the mounting process, but you really can't like, you have to really secure the racket. There is no like lock bar to it. So it kind of like makes you check all the boxes before you take off and drive. It kind of forces you to put the seatbelt on type of thing. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, another question that I have heard asked many times and I know we have stringing instructions on our website for each racket, but how do you know whether you should be stringing with two pieces or one piece? And can you string a two piece racket with one piece? And ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a pretty easy concept. So every brand will kind of have their own rule of thumb, like, you know, head or Yonex will say, all our rackets must be two-pieced in order to maintain the warranty, you know, and what they're trying to eliminate is they're trying to eliminate like rookie stringers or foolish stringers or careless stringers. Um, But really, and I'll let Jay kind of go into this more too, but really what it comes down to is you always, if you can, you always want to be stringing your crosses from the top down. So after your mains are done, you pretty much always want to, String, yeah, basically start your crosses at the tip of the racket at the top and work your way down towards the bottom. And there's different ways of doing that, whether it's a one piece, whether it's a two piece, whether it's a one piece around the world, there's different methods. But anyways, Jay, you can kind of give, yes, you, I give mean, your ways of thinking about it. What I found is, well, yeah, so every racket can be strung with two piece. So yes. whenever we teach people here, um, we just always teach them two pieces because they're never going to run into any difficulties. Um, and, Except, hey, yeah. I, I will I will cut you off just because I got some funny stories, but uh, <laughs> of of uh, of training of training new stringers over the years. But I have gotten some uh, rookie stringers that tried to two piece and then they did their starting knot at the throat, and that totally uh-huh, that, that yeah, totally yeah. nullifies or or kills the reason of doing a two piece. The point of doing it, yeah. <laughs> hey, I like their I like their creativity. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because I guess with one piece, um, not every racket can be strung. Um, one piece and um, then there are also rackets that when you do string at one piece um, the only way that you can start the crosses is from the bottom of the racket itself and so you have to go from bottom to top so um, that's the difference some people really prefer to string at one piece because I guess the myth out there is that um, if you're stringing um, with only only one piece um, throughout it it's going to have the same feel and the same constant tension throughout the entire racket and it's just got it's just got a different feel to it um but then two piece um the the counter argument to that is you know you're stringing two different pieces of string at the same tension and so the string itself um or the other racket itself is going to have more of a more of a chance to hold uh its tension because of the two different strings bouncing off each other if one of the string um out of those two loses its tension then the other one you know, can sort of uh, hold its own. Um, and so the longevity or the um, the life of the string is going to last longer with two piece. That's what I found. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Is that the, what you heard as well? Exactly. Yeah. And then like, kind of like with the two piece racket, some don't want two piece because every time you tie a knot or every time you have like the outside main or the last cross or the starting cross, it just gives you an opportunity to lose more tension than, than a one piece where you only have the two mm. tie offs. Um, so yeah, pretty much kind of what Jay was explaining there, the rackets that, so there's some rackets where your mains will automatically, uh, finish up at the top of the racket. So your last, your last main string will finish up here and say this, say this racket was a 16 main. You're going to have eight on this side, eight on that side, that, that eighth string on each side will finish up at the top. Um, like. The rackets that I've used lately, the Yonex E-Zone 98 or 98 Plus, as well as the V-Core Pro 97 310 or 330. Luckily, those those mains end up at the top because they're 16 mains and they have eight um, holes in the, in the throat or four 
four roundabouts, four U-turns. Um, so that, that causes the main strings to end up at the top. And those can be strung as one piece, even though Yannick says all the rackets need to be strung as two piece to maintain them. They could be strung as a one piece because your, your long side is going to start up here and you're going to be forced to work your way down. What Jay was mentioning, like say like Michelle's racket is a common one. A lot of Wilson rackets, the RF 97, it's only got six holes in the throat or three little roundabouts. And it's a 16 main. So that forces that last, that eighth main on each side to finish at the throat. And typically rackets like that, where you're made, your two mains in at the bottom, you're going to want to cut them off, tie off both of your knots and start it as a two piece so that you can do your start knot up here and go that way. Well, some players don't want you to string two piece. They don't want four knots. So another way of doing it is that those Wilson rackets like the RF, you can still do it as a one piece, but Technically, to preserve the frame, they recommend doing an around-the-world string job. So it's a slightly different pattern where you can keep a one-piece on that racket, and it, it causes you to end up stringing that. It gets your long side back up at the top. Mm. So it's kind of like a box pattern, and then it brings you back up to the top while still having a one-piece string. So that's kind of the around-the-world around method. Gotcha. And then talk to me about knots. I know I know about a Parnell let's get, let's knot. Let's get a real <laughs> knot. Let's get naughty. Talk to me about knots, different styles of knots, a good knot versus a bad knot. <laughs> yeah. What not to do. What not to do. What so not. Sorry, Why? Jay. Are you still there, Jay? No, that, I mean, we're losing yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm loving these puns. I'm oh, loving them. Gosh. You know, we're Why? losing. It's like it's a little later here, our time, you know. Yeah. It's already like happy hour, man. Yeah, we, we need to get out of this place. Eight, eight o'clock in the morning for me. I haven't had my coffee <laughs> like waking yet. up. You're no, like, haven't got your coffee yet? And we're like, is it happy hour yet? Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, wait. Actually, before we move on to knots, I uh, I think I hear this question come up every so often. So someone that has strung with two pieces because they hybrided a string and let's say one of their cross strings or one of their strings, let's say the cross strings broke. Um, can you or do you recommend restringing the whole racket or can you just restring the crosses so you basically said like it's a it's a two-piece or a hybrid and the crosses break yeah <laughs> yeah right jay like you're i saying, mean like you you know people have asked yeah. this like, oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah okay <laughs> so yeah, the answer uh, is i'm 100 uh you have to do the whole racket again you can't, <laughs> you can't yeah. just take this the string out um and redo it Okay. Good so, and I can see, I can see some logic, you know, some people are just trying to be frugal. <laughs> um, some, you know, it might be like, there's a natural gut on the mains and they're yeah. trying to use it for as long as possible or whatever. But um, if it's a main string that breaks, definitely heck no, you're not doing that because you're not weaving, <laughs> you're not, you're not weaving mains through crosses. That'd be nuts. Um, but also uh, even if a cross string, yeah, it's pretty much best to cut it out. Start from, start from fresh, restring your whole racket treat yourself just like we talked with the balls you know don't don't mistreat yourself treat and um yeah and then also like when that string breaks there can be a little bit of like the frame like kind of like losing that cross tension and the mains kind of pulling down still and your frame kind of like gradually warping so one of the things I used to always tell people is like when we're at the public courts or whatever and like, hey, your string breaks, you know, it's good to have some snippers or some sort of cutters on hand because you probably should cut your strings out as soon as possible when you snap your string so that you don't get any sort of frame warpage because there's still the other, especially if it's a two piece because you're still getting some tension in certain directions of that frame or whatever. Yeah, that was another thing I was going to ask. And then would you recommend cutting from the break out? Or it doesn't matter. Well, that's too specific. Yeah, st start in the middle. Start in the middle of the frame and then cut towards the edges that I've found. Take all the um, tension out. Yeah. yeah, take all the tension out from the middle and then just let, let the strings sort of loosen out. Um, you know, just move them around a little bit as you cut them. And then, yeah, just, just relieve the frame a little bit. Yeah, kind of air out the frame. Yeah, so like if you snapped your crosses, you'd want to start in the middle and start cutting those mains first. And then as you work your way out, you just want to go main cross, main cross, main cross until you have cut through everything. You don't want to, even if it's like a full bed and you're cutting it out, say it's just dead or something, or you want to restring, you don't all, you don't, you don't ever want to just cut all your mains and then all your crosses. Cause that will really cause the frame to warp if you have just pressure on one side or the other. So mix and match the cross main cross main and work your way out. 
I think that's a tidbit that a lot of people are going to take from this. And like, even if you're not stringing something good to know, so yeah. we're just dropping gems. Um, okay. Now you can get naughty. Talk about knots. Yeah. So Jay, what's your go-to knot, man? You, a Wilson uh, champions, you, a Parnell, you, a double half. Hit. I'll just use this. is the standard. Double half hitch knot. That's just the way to go for me. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes I'll just use that as my starting knot as well for my crosses. Probably not the best thing to do, but, but you, like, you said I, I, your standard is the double half hitch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that not for you? Oh, uh, no. well, that's, I know definitely that's the one Jadab uses, you know, and he's been stringing yeah. for years. I kind of adopted the Parnell knot over the years. Um, I just like tying it and I like how it looks. So that's my go to. Um, sometimes I'll use the Wilson Pro knot um, if I'm in a hurry because it's pretty quick and simple. And I, it's usually only when I'm using like a really thick poly. I don't like using that Pro knot on like multis or like thinner strings, like thinner, softer strings, like multis or gut. But uh, typically my go-to is the Parnell. And then for crosses, if I'm in a hurry, I'll use, we kind of have our own, I'm sure somebody else out there uses it, but our own starting knot for the crosses, it's kind of like a slip knot or like a fisherman's knot. Right. And it basically tight, like like it tightens up as you pull it. And it's kind of like a, it looks like a kind of like a noose knot and it finishes with like two little circles squeezing each other up into the front, like to the grommet. But that's what we usually use for the starting knot. um, If I'm in a hurry, but ideally if I'm taking my time doing like a quality, trying to do a quality job, um, which most of the time, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so like, I usually, like, I usually, I usually the play test <laughs> yeah like if i'm i'm stringing my own sometimes i'm gonna hurry i'll just do the two-piece knot or I'll well just... and then sometimes i'm gonna put this in here what he means is sometimes we string rackets just for them to get image and on video and then they get cut right out so yeah. if, if in that case but um usually if it's like you know i'm taking my time and uh i'll use i'll just use the starting clamp to hold um, my tension for the crosses. So I'll have the, the starting clamp on the outside of the bumper guard. So that way I'll, that'll hold my tension all the way through the crosses, parnell it, and then at the, at the end, go back up at the top, retension that first cross. So there's nice tension on it and use a parnell to finish it. And that's also a really good method too for the, um, you mentioned earlier, like the kind of rule of thumb is like you basically can two piece any racket. Um, and that's true. Obviously, that's that's very true. But there's been a couple frames over the years that weren't so uh, user friendly for. And I think I don't know if you used to use one of them, but like the old uh, Pure Storm line, Pure Control. Yeah, you yeah use? the red and red and black one. Was the, that the really old one? Yeah, I think that was the Pure Storm. If, if that's the one of Pure Storm yeah. Control. So like some of the Pure Storms and the yeah. Pure Controls over the years uh, weren't very two piece friendly. Um so that, that fun that, fact that was actually the first racket that I learned to string on. That was like, yeah, so, so I had that if, racket. Yeah. If you were, and I using thought I was one. so bad. I thought I was so bad. <laughs> it took me like two hours. Like, yeah. Um, and the reason was is because Babylon didn't make us a second tie off hole in the head. So they had one, one hole for both, you know, ending mains. And then there wasn't another hole that was big enough to do a starting knot on so basically that racket was much better or much easier to string a two-piece if you had that starting clamp because basically you wanted to tie your um, top cross on another cross so like you wanted that starting clamp there to string all your crosses and then when you were done you could go back and clamp up at the top and tie your um your first cross that extra string you would tie it off on like the second or third cross so you you needed those crosses to be there to have another hole mm-hmm. to tie off onto. Yeah, it makes so sense yeah. to me. Yeah, I get. But those were like super super pain in the butt to do two pieces on, and there there was also a Yonex racket like the Dual G or something that was like that. Mm. So those are almost. That's why when you do become an avid stringer, one of your best friends will be a good starting clamp. You, you're gonna want one of those. So. Um, well, how long did it take you guys to feel like you actually knew <laughs> what you're doing and like you were comfortable stringing? Um, Because when I talk to people about it, I just kind of say it's a lot of muscle memory and you kind of just have to do it over and over and over and over again. Um, And like for me, when I learned, I was only really stringing my rackets and I wasn't breaking a ton of strings. So it was like every time I went back to string, it was like I didn't have that muscle memory. So it was super frustrating for me. So how long did it take you guys to learn? What do you think is the best way to 
just kind of like dive in and like get started? I'd say it took me about like to be comfortable, like 15 rackets to, to really like understand how to string a racket. Like I do, I, I personally took the time to try to get to know all the ins and outs of, of how to string it. So I didn't, didn't necessarily focus on speed um, for the first couple. Um, just, yeah. So after that, like 15 racket mark, I just went, okay, like I, I do, I do get it. But to, to be able to get the speed of, you know, getting like sub, sub 30, sub 25, which is, I guess what most, most um, of your stringers would be at. Um, that is probably, yeah, like in your 50 to 100s, like just to, and it is muscle memory, just doing the same thing over and over and just getting quicker and quicker um, as you go. Yeah. You Troy's talk? like, I can't even remember I've been stringing rackets for so long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I definitely, thousands. it'd be harder for, for me to put a number to the, the rackets, but I know like when I first started working here many, many years ago, it definitely felt like after like a month or so, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like such a noob. And like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm really, I paid, like, I really pay a lot of attention to detail. So I felt like the memory and like, I, I learned certain, I have certain ways of like remembering things in my head, you know? So like there was ways where I could feel like I mastered it. And then I got comfortable, you know, it's like a month, you know, six months. I felt like I work in here. I was like, oh yeah, like I'm legit, you know, like I'm ready for the MRT, you know, and all this stuff. And then you kind of learn tools of the trade over the years and just kind of really being clean with your work, making sure you're clamping as close to the frame as possible, not pinching the string too tight, you know, just different things like that. But, you know, for me, I felt like the six month mark working here, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm an MRT ready, you know, like, but then again, like to put that in numbers, like back then, you know, when I first started working here in the summer, you know, once you got comfortable stringing kind of past that training phase, like a couple of weeks over a month of working here, like you might be cranking out 15 rackets a day, you know, or more, sometimes less, you know, so six months of work, that's quite a few frames, you know? Yeah. But and then just and then working here, you're seeing everything. You know, we sell everything. Like if you're in a local area, you might not you might not see certain brands of rackets. You might not see a power angle. Like what the hell? Oh you yeah, angle strings and then you know all this crazy stuff. So. Open port or open oh, yeah. Strings, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah. Sometimes you don't you don't see anything for like months. Like honestly, and you think that you're like a really good string. You're like yeah, any, throw anything at me and I've got it. And then yeah, you just see a racket and you're just like. Like, I have no idea. I don't know what this is. Yeah. And that that's what I was like with the open grommets. I was just like, never strung one, probably till yeah, about seven, eight months into stringing a racket. And I like to be honest, I haven't even seen a racket that had open grommets. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, Google save me. <laughs> <laughs> so what's been the hardest rackets to string and what's the hardest string to string with? Because I know that's always a fun, it's funny to hear the some of the stringers out there like, oh my God, I just strung this string and it's the worst. My hands are torn up. Probably some of these. Yeah. <laughs> that might be these, tough. Uh, these 18, 18 main wood rackets with like a so 16 tight. square inch head and then somebody wants to put Torbite in here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, those are very, very rare when we string up the woodies. And then there's like a certain group of people that actually like to do it. I just give them to them. I'm like, nah, I don't have the time. I don't feel like doing that today. But yeah, um, I don't know. What's the hardest or most frustrating setups for you? Oh, string, string wise, yeah, those thick polys. 4G isn't isn't <laughs> a favorite of mine. Um, yeah, tour bites not a favorite of mine. Um, uh, Dynam Solstice. Yeah, those yeah. like the ones. Anything with the shapes. ones with the, the edges, the really um, sharp edges, like diadem. The really said, sharp edges. Yeah, they just grind your fingers up. Like, yeah. yeah, people here just have band aids on just from using or just stringing those over and over because they do. They they wear down your fingers. They cut mm-hmm. like cut your fingers open basically. Yeah, especially um, in like a really tight pattern. Mm-hmm. Any of those, yeah. like in an eighteen twenty, it's like, oh, geez, I'm gonna be here for thirty minutes. Just give me some. Right, give me some I think I think my least favorite racket was the um graphene XT speed pro the 1820 did it have the shared holes too yeah shared shared holes are shared health. You only find <laughs> you only find out at the very end like I mean you should be paying attention like as you're doing it but yeah there are some rackets out there that have shared holes which you you're going to feed your mains and your crosses through the same hole and you're also going to tie the knots off um, on the same holes. So if you're not paying attention, you can tie off a main um, 
in a hole that you need to use to weave um, your crosses in. And you don't know until the very end where you're, you're finally at the bottom of the racket, you feel good, <laughs> and then you've got no hole to weave the last cross into and you're like, oh, cut yeah. it out. Oh, yeah. hell. And it was like yeah. 16 gauge Torbite. <laughs> you got to undo it all. So not only did you have to string it, now you have to rip it back out and like tear your fingers up more. And you were supposed to clock out 20 minutes ago. <laughs> you got to drive home in the traffic and like, and then, wow. yeah, you had choice, a bad day. Choice. Yeah, I'm uh, speaking from experience now. <laughs> but yeah, what, he, what Jay's talking about with those shared holes, a lot of people know what they are, but like up here, it was on those speeds. It was up in the corners of the, the hoop and it basically would be, you know, two, two strings laying on top of each other. So like if you accidentally weren't paying attention and like the main went, like came in this way and then so you would end up like overlapping them there's like a total no-no because then those strings like bulging out over the edge of the bumper you know and like the first time if you actually played with it that way the first time you know michelle goes for a half volley and like scrapes the court that string just gonna go pop you know (laughs) and it's just bad so yeah you got to make sure that you set it up so that they're like they're flat on top of each other and they're embedded into the grommet you know it's like yeah um, okay. I want to hear some of your like worst nightmares and stories about your biggest blunder stringing, because honestly, I don't think people share these enough. And I literally stopped stringing because I wasn't good at it. I kept messing up and like, no one else was like, Oh, it's, it's okay. You'll get there. Like keep on at it. Um, and like literally my biggest, the two things that I just remember is I always cut my crosses too short. So I'd finish a string job. <laughs> like what is wrong with me? I know yeah, I, wasn't, relatable. I wasn't trained very well. Um, so I would be short across. Um, that's embarrassing. And then the other thing, because we know I like to string at higher tensions and this was way back before even lowering down into the high fifties, I was stringing at like 62 pounds. I just always remember like cranking the machine and I could hear the racket like, and I was freaked out. Like I was always freaked out that I was warping my racket. So please tell me it's not just me. <laughs> it's just, me. I'll, I'll start with my worst one. Okay. Was, um, yeah. I, I can't forget this one. Um, so this is when I was stringing at my local club. Um, and I had to string a racket for my teammate and we were both playing doubles together um, uh, at, on a Monday night at like seven o'clock. And so my friend gave me um, his racket to string and uh, he gave it to me at like five o'clock and just asked if I could do it. Um, I was like, yeah, that's fine. Easy. And he only had one racket okay. um, and he used uh, alu power mains and then natural gut crosses. Oh, no. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> Um, and then, um, I was, oh yeah, I can get this done in like half an hour. I'll leave it till like 6.15 to start doing it. Um, start doing it easy peasy. Um, and I get to the very last cross of the natural gut and, uh, and, and it kinks, um, and I pull it and then it just snaps. It just snaps on the very last cross. Um, and, and it's now like 6.55. Our match is in like 10 minutes and he's just rocked up, like ready to go. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have your racket, mate. Uh, yeah, um, at that point, I'm, gra- so- I'm grabbing him a demo or something. You're like, I really thought this would be a better option today. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I did, I did like the worst thing possible, which was, well, it actually wasn't that bad. I, like, you tied I, it I, in I tied it off. I tied, I, yeah, I tied it off with one, with one cross short. Um, I just gave it to him that way. I was like, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, you just, now you're just going to use 80% of your racket. You don't have to use the whole 100%. Um, and then so he used it. He used it and he still got it. So yeah, racket hasn't broken, thankfully. If anything, maybe but, you just gave him a little bit more power off center. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit more feel. <laughs> more pocketing. I feel like yeah, Troy's never messed it. up on stringing. No, I definitely like remember in the beginning of learning, like maybe a couple times for getting the lock bar. And then from there, like I just became like super like into it. And like, I was, I'm never forgetting lock bar again. And then like, when I started like supervising like customer service, I was just like calling people. I was like the lock bar, like lock bar police. Yeah. I was hardcore. <laughs> never, I never made anybody cry. I don't think, but um, uh, I know I've got another one. Yes. 
Um, this was like 2019 where I strung at the ATP Cup. Yes, I was um, hoping you'd have a story. And, <laughs> and you yeah, were swinging Rafa's um, racket. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't Rafa's, but yeah, I won't say who it was, but yeah, strung their racket and um, just just in the rush and in the heat of the moment, I had to stencil the racket afterwards. Oh. And, and yeah, I just, for whatever reason, I just didn't flip the the stencil correctly and just stenciled <laughs> just stenciled it backwards on on the side so yeah it was a Yonex racket so you just Uh-oh. got circled Nick and was just so mad at you <laughs> yeah I was so mad well like yeah. so now we can do process elimination it was either like yeah Curios, Shopo, Shopo was there um he's like yeah oh. there's a couple yeah <laughs> yeah so, yeah had to had to cut those strings out and try to get that done asap as well yeah oops Oops. Not all for all no. for the stupid little like all for the, like, it's not change the, the performance really it's just like you cannot have that on labor cup tv like oh and you're like no. can i rub it off no you on can't. national tv no you like you're like rubbing oh. alcohol on it no well, like, that's okay. what you're right and then like the strings disintegrate and then they yeah, yeah anyways probably yeah probably yes or probably be fine that's just, i don't know if you want to do that but. Okay, so anyone that's out there learning and like you're not picking it up right away and you're not like a natural born stringer, like stick with it. I promise with time, yeah. I think. Yes, some other um, like common things that just slip up, like there's certain like the Prince rackets, the ones with the ports or like mm-hmm. some of the generations of Babolat, like pure arrows. There's a sh- like a short side and a long side that's designated that you have to use. So like I've definitely done that just like out there on the CSR floor talking to people about a match and you're like, you're starting your crosses and you're like, yeah, yeah. You know, do you see that match? You see that Roger match or something? And then halfway through the crosses, you're like, oh damn, I did the, <laughs> I did the short side on the wrong side. <laughs> like this isn't good. You got to undo it. And it's the worst. Like when you're, especially when you get to the bottom of your crosses and you got like a full thick poly in there, it's like, you got to back it all the way out or you can cut it and get a new half set, however you want to do it. But it's like, there are a lot of like beginner easy mistakes that you can make when you first start off. So don't feel bad if you're just starting to learn and you make those errors. Just like even just like unclamping the wrong clamp, like you know, yeah. just stuff like that, or, or just missing a cross, yeah. like and you don't realize, you know. But it's just like it's just so dreadful because most of the time there is no fix to doing it. Like you just have to start all over again. <laughs> so it is worth taking the time to learn because otherwise, yeah, it is cutthroat. <laughs> literally <laughs> um so do you guys have any like last minute things to remember or essential pieces of information or what you wish that you knew when you started stringing that you would tell yourself back then <laughs> no <laughs> well, i mean like yeah, don't like... do it pay somebody <laughs> it's worth the money <laughs> that's me <laughs> yeah i mean basically just i'm thinking like yeah the most important thing like lock bar police you know like if you're on a machine that has a lock bar don't forget that because that that basically make your racket snap and you might not notice it till it's too late you'll hear it yeah. <laughs> well if you're cranking above 60 you hear that <laughs> um but besides that you know um learn a good knot try to learn a good knot when you start you know whether it's parnell or double half hitch Learn a good knot when you start. How do you weave when you when you do your crosses? I typically weave away from uh-huh. me, usually like my middle or index fingers. But if I'm doing my crosses, I'm usually weaving sideways or kind of away from my body. Whereas I know some people like to bring the string towards them. Yeah. But yeah, I just kind of, you know, once you get really good, that's kind of more like something visual you'd have to see. But, you know, you, you start to feel the tip of the string and you can feel it go you know what's that what's that event that they have for the dog shows where they do like the the <laughs> weaving out of the poles it's exactly like that you know like those really fast dogs that just kind of yeah the agility the yeah yeah like throughout well, the see that's another thing for me and again i could i feel like when you're starting like you when you think about someone stringing a racket like you naturally think that like the stringers just like shh, with the crosses and for me i was always like like <laughs> yeah like instead of just weaving through the poles you're like actually like i would like even literally sometimes i'm like putting a string mm-hmm. under and up and uh, like i was not i didn't really ever get the rhythm however i'm assuming it comes with time and practice yeah. and more rackets and there's something freaking therapeutic about stringing like straightening the strings and doing the tensioner and all of that but yeah <laughs> there are some days where it's really good. You just put your headphones in, like if you're by yourself, just put your headphones in. You can just 
zone out if you know what you're doing zone out (laughs) (laughs) you know and just string rackets yeah it is quite therapeutic um something else that i know gets asked often but like let's not say you're racing but what's your guys's like average time for a string job Around the 20 mark, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. again, it cha- it cha- like, that's on average, changes on the racket, yeah. changes on the string. So if I've got a nice open 14, 18, you know, <laughs> multi, then, yeah. then 15 minutes maybe, 16, 17. But, yeah, otherwise you're looking at 20, 25. Yeah. But I pretty much only, I'm sure, Jay, too, we pretty much only string full beds of poly because of mm-hmm. play test rackets and what we're hitting. So, yeah. yeah, most of the time, you know, I'm pumping one out, you know, 20 minutes is a good kind of average time if i'm at home stringing and i'm watching tennis channel having a glass of wine you know that might it might take 30 you know (laughs) chatting and stuff yeah but like we used to do we used to have like they used to time us and stuff back in the day and like i think my fastest poly was around like full bit of poly was like 11 minutes or something like that and then like we would do like sin guts or like multis and these were like on demos or like you know like rackets that were discontinued because we knew it was going to be a speed job not a not a quality job but like you know there was guys pumping out rackets like in eight minutes you know with like a multi and an open pattern you know crazy stuff like that but that's crazy we're pretty much only stringing polys full polys nowadays and then if it's a natural gut or natural gut hybrid then i'm especially on the, like if it's a hybrid and I'm stringing the gut part, I'm usually, you know, being a little more careful. It'll take a couple more minutes. And if you're new to stringing, it's taking you over an hour to string a racket. That's okay too. Like it's okay. You'll figure it out again. The more you do, the quicker you'll get. So don't be intimidated by how long it takes. <laughs> okay. One other thing, cause I know this sometimes comes up and it's controversial. How long should your tails be on the knots? It depends on it depends on yeah. the knot that you do and kind of every every stringer has his own little signature mark, you know, but what do you you cut it off pretty close, Jay? I I go just for me, I normally go like to, to the just underneath the edge of where the beam is. Like Okay. Uh, I like to give it, you know, like a couple of meals just because like, yeah, I mean, when I started, I like I remember I strung a racket for myself and I yeah, cut it too short and then as I hit um, I played a match and yeah, the, the knot came undone. And ever since then, I've just been petrified of doing that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just go yeah to the edge of the edge of the racket. I used to do that too. I would I would cut it off like kind of flush with where the knot ended and like the the square part of the frame is. So you kind of just kind of cut so that it's like even with that part. Mm. Um, yeah. But like when I'm doing the Parnell or the Wilson Pro knot, you can cinch those up pretty good and those ones kind of lock themselves in that you can you literally cannot back them out they that's kind of like one downside with those is as soon as it's tight it's not coming back out um so those you can cut down to the nub you can cut them really close if you want okay so a few takeaways it's worth taking time to invest in a stringer especially if you're stringing for yourself or want to be stringing for a club or at a tournament maybe even um no matter what level that tournament is be patient. Um, we have videos on how to string. We have a ton of resources. I also feel like now, Troy, I'm going to like tell you to do all sorts of videos, like how to do a Parnell knot and how to all of that, because you've got tons of knowledge on all this stuff and you too, Jay. So if you get the camera out in, in Australia, <laughs> I know sometimes Jay has to like be his own cameraman. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, cameraman, got to edit it, got to, well, not edit as much, but yeah, (laughs) give it the green light. So, and if you guys out there have any further questions, feel free to let us know. Or also, if you want to share your stringing blunders, we'd be happy to hear that. I would be happy to hear them since I shared mine. Um, That's it. Happy stringing. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting. Happy hitting.